If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. And as you're turning there, let me just say, um, John is not Romans. You're probably wondering why we're in John and not Romans, because we finished Romans 9 one week early in the plan. So today we're not going to Romans 10. We're going to a different day. This is the series I like to call whatever pastor feels like preaching. And we're doing that today uh, because there's something really timely that I think we need to talk about. So we're taking actually a break from the Roman series, not just for this week, but next week for Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday. We have an incredible testimony that's going to be shared on Easter Sunday about the power of God and the power of the resurrection. And then the week after after Easter Sunday, we're going to have, uh, we're going to continue in the series of Romans and begin in chapter 10. But today we are looking specifically at one verse in John chapter 10. And before we get there, I want to ask you a question. If you were given a choice, would you choose something ordinary or would you choose something extraordinary? Would you prefer the ordinary or would you prefer the extraordinary? For example, would you prefer an ordinary bargain or an extraordinary bargain? That one really touches my heart. Would you prefer an ordinary marriage? Or an extraordinary marriage? Would you prefer an ordinary career or an extraordinary career? And finally, would you prefer an ordinary life or an extraordinary life? I think most people would choose the extraordinary over the ordinary if we're being, if we're being honest. And the world we live in appeals to that desire. In the way it markets products to us, in the way it promotes events, it tries to convince us that the next thing that we need isn't ordinary, it is extraordinary, and it's better than the last thing. I was thinking about this, how things have changed over the years since the time I was a kid to today, and I was reminded of a few things. When it comes to birthdays, when I was a kid, we had a birthday cake. You know what I'm talking about? A birthday cake. And it was made in a pan that my mom pulled out of the cabinet. And many times it stayed in the pan that my mom pulled out of the cabinet. We've gone with birthdays from cake to the cake boss. We went from the ordinary to the extraordinary. You know what I'm talking about? We have any old cake boss fans? I don't think he's on TV anymore, but if he is, you know what I'm talking about? Everything's coated and covered in fondant. And, you know, they have these themes and these interests and desires, and they go from regular cakes to extraordinary things. It's bigger and it's better. I was thinking about babies, and, uh, you know, my wife and I have three kids, and when, when the, our kids were born, when our kids were born, it was a relatively new thing to find out the gender of the baby. It was relatively new. And most importantly, the coolest thing, and I still remember this when she was pregnant with Sarah, our oldest, we were able to hear the baby's heartbeat. I remember we went in and they took this microphone that looked like it was from 1960, and they they put it on her stomach and we heard, and I went, wow, that's a heartbeat in there. And it was phenomenal. And then they scanned a picture of my daughter and it was the creepiest thing I ever saw, but it was her. And I knew it was her. There was someone actually in there. I looked at the picture. I was like, it's kind of like a skull. Well, no, that's your daughter. And I'm like, that's so cool. 
Today, they have 3D imaging that takes photos of babies and you can almost see details. of You can see fingernails on children. It's amazing. They've gone from the ordinary to the extraordinary. I remember when I was still working in the pharmaceutical industry, my brother-in-law, he was working um, at, uh, at uh, was Singular Wireless at one point, and he was an electro- electronic engineer. And if you remember the days before our phones, they had what they called Palm Pilots. Anyone remember the Palm Pilot? Right? And that was so cool. You could take your calendar and put it on an electronic device and touch it with a little stylus and you could organize things on your Palm Pilot. And I remember being at lunch with him one time and he said, Paul, he said, listen, they're actually working on technology right now where one day your Palm Pilot and your phone are going to be the same device. And I remember saying, wow, that's incredible. I mean, today it's like assumed that we would have that, right? There's more processing power in this than it took um, NASA to get to the moon. And we have these in our pockets. Why? We've gone from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Everything is bigger. Everything is faster. Everything is stronger, more advanced, cutting edge. So why would we settle for the ordinary when we can have the extraordinary in this world? Today's message is called Extraordinary Living in an ordinary world. And it's a challenge for each of us in the Christian church to ask ourselves, do we experience extraordinary living in an ordinary world? This is pursued by the world around us, but it is the promise of Jesus alone. Extraordinary living is pursued by the world around us, but it is the promise of Jesus alone. Where is the promise? John 10.10. This is what he says. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is a familiar scripture for many people. Jesus came, they said, to give us a full life, an abundant life. What is he saying and what does that mean? It's not just life, it's a full life. Life means, the word life is Zoe and it means life. It means being alive, especially um, with health and happiness, and exuberance, and energy, and vitality. Basically, Zoe means living. There is a difference between being alive and actually living. And some of you understand that difference over the last year as as we've walked through a pandemic. Many people have been alive. Few people have been living over the last year. But he says, abundant life means life, which is living. And then he uses the word full which just means extraordinary. So if I was going to paraphrase what he's saying, Jesus is saying, I have come to bring extraordinary living. Sounds good, right? Who wouldn't sign up for that? See, what I've found, though, is that it's not uncommon for Christians, some Christians, when they hear this, they want to believe it, but they struggle many times to experience it in their lives. What their experience is, isn't necessarily what they see in the scripture. Some ask, if Jesus promises an extraordinary life, why does mine feel so ordinary? Does your reality actually match the expectation? Have you experienced disappointments and illness and sorrow and abuse and pain and loss? I could probably say all of that in one word, COVID. Have you experienced that in the last 12 months? There are so many things that we could point to that if we look at it through that lens, we would say, maybe the extraordinary life is for someone else. And Jesus didn't really promise it to me, but he promised it to others. I want you to know this morning that none of those things change. Jesus promised. So where is the issue? 
If he says he came for believers to have, for us to have extraordinary living in an ordinary world, if we don't sense or experience an extraordinary life, is it Jesus that's the problem? Or is there something else that we need to address? You see, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Jesus is right. And we're not. I don't think his word is wrong. In fact, I know his word's not wrong. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. So the problem is somehow between what he said and what we receive. It's in that world. And we need to unpack that a little bit this morning. So today we're going to ask the question, how can we experience Jesus' promise of extraordinary living in an ordinary world? Now, before we do that, we need to do something that's super important. We need to put a few criteria in place before we answer that because this verse can be easily misinterpreted in our world. And in some cases, it's twisted to mean something that it was never intended to mean. So the meaning of extraordinary living, according to Jesus, has to meet, I believe, two criteria, or else Jesus didn't mean it at all. Number one, the meaning must agree with God's word. Okay, We can't say what Jesus meant if what we are saying does not align with God's word. It's foundational. It's the number one thing. And it's easy for us to determine if it's true or if it's not, if it does or does not support the word of God. If it doesn't support the word of God or the word of God doesn't support it, It's not extraordinary living. It's counterfeit. That's the first criteria. The second is that it needs to apply, and this is really important, it needs to apply to every person of every nation, race, culture in the world. It needs to apply to those who are wealthy and those who are poor. It needs to apply to those who are free and those who are oppressed, to those who are praised and those who are persecuted. It needs to apply to the healthy ones and it needs to apply to the weak and to those who are healed and those who are still experiencing hurting. It needs to apply to everyone. It must be applicable to you and to me and to everyone, whether you live under the rule of a democracy or under a communism or socialism or even a dictatorship. If all of those things happen and what Jesus is saying or our definition applies to that, then I think we have it right. You see, but in our culture, in our American culture, people have twisted this sometimes for it to mean something Then it really isn't. And it works in our culture of abundance, but it won't work on the other side of the world, in a third world nation, or under a dictatorship, or in communism. It doesn't work sometimes based on people's economic status. So we need to get down to the foundations and say, what does it mean to live an extraordinary life? Rick Warren, who's a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, says this about the abundant life that God offers. He says this, it is a fatal mistake to assume that God's goal for your life is material prosperity or popular success as the world defines it. The abundant life has nothing to do with material abundance and faithfulness to God does not guarantee success in a career or even ministry. Never focus on temporary crowns. It's powerful. What is he doing? He's trying to get our eyes on what the meaning of abundant living really is, not just through the lens of the world that we come from. Now, this doesn't mean physical wealth and prosperity can't be part of extraordinary living. We have examples of that all through Scripture where God blesses people and there is prosperity and there is wealth. And when we apply it to godly principles, it results in financial prosperity. 
God teaches us things in his word. When we do it, many times there can be financial prosperity. It just means at its core, this is not what Jesus is referring to. So what is Jesus referring to when he talks about extraordinary life? This is my shot at the definition, okay? Extraordinary life. My definition is an extraordinary life is not about what we have, get, or claim. It's about knowing the blessings we've received from God and embracing our responsibility to share his blessings with others. This is what I think extraordinary living really means. It's not about what we have, it's not about what we get, and it's not about what we claim. You see, it's not material. It's not about what God gives us in a physical sense. And it's not about what we can claim can happen. That's not abundant living or extraordinary living. It's about knowing the blessings we have received from God, number one, and embracing our responsibility to share those blessings with others. Then we experience abundant or extraordinary living. So this morning, I want to look at three pieces that I think go together for us to get there. They're all in this, but I want to break them out and talk about the three things that if one of them is missing, it's not really extraordinary living. It's kind of like, I was going to use the illustration of a stool, but we upgraded our stools and now we have four legs instead of three. So let's pretend that one of them is missing back here. Like the legs of a stool, there's three legs typically on a stool. And if you take one off, the stool falls over. We need all of these three to consider what real extraordinary living looks like. So what are the three pieces that I think are in this passage and what Jesus is talking about? Number one, if we want to experience extraordinary living, we must make Jesus our Lord and Savior. We must make Jesus our Lord and Savior. This is what he meant in John 10.10. That extraordinary living is available to us. But who was it available to in the passage? It is available to the sheep. It is available to the sheep. Who are the sheep? Well, we're not going to read all of John 10. But if you took a little background and looked earlier in that passage, what you would see is that Jesus is using an illustration that he talks to those around them, and he includes the sheep, and he talks about what they, talked, what they called the sheepfold. And the sheepfold was a, a place that in the evenings, it was a rocky, walled um, uh, place. It was surrounded by a wall or a fence made of rock, and the shepherds would bring their sheep into the sheepfold into the evenings, and they would allow the sheep to go into the sheepfold, and they would stay there overnight. Why would they do that? Protection. Protection from predators, protection from animals, protection from thieves. There was one gate and the shepherd would sit or lay down in the front by the gate so nobody got in and nobody got out. And that's what the sheepfold was. Now, the only way thieves could actually get into the sheepfold is to go over the wall or the fence, pick up the sheep, throw them over and take them with them. And it could happen. It wasn't, you know, a huge wall. It was just because sheep aren't the brightest animals. They don't have to climb real high. Just get over them and keep them. But that's what the shepherd would do. And he would protect them that way. And the sheep would have to be in there the entire night because they couldn't get through the gate. In the morning, the shepherds would call their sheep because many shepherds could bring their sheep into the same sheepfold. In the morning, and if you've never seen this, there's some amazing videos on YouTube that actually show this. And it's so cool. That the sheep in every flock know the voice of their shepherd. And when those shepherds would go outside in the morning and all the sheep would come out of the sheepfold, the shepherds would call their sheep and every sheep would go with their shepherd because they recognized his voice 
and no other voice. It's amazing to see that. And Jesus is making this connection. Because the sheep knew his voice, the shepherd brings the sheep with him and protects him. John 10.4, he says, when he has brought out all his own, talking about the sheep and the shepherd, he goes out on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jump to verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come so the sheep may, if you will, can experience extraordinary living. This is why we have to start with making Jesus Lord of our lives. Salvation is not about saying a prayer. I know sometimes over the years there's been a prescription that people have put in place that there's step one, step two, step three. And there are elements of that that's true. To make a decision to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need to acknowledge ourselves as a sinner. And we've just gone through the first nine chapters of Romans. It's pretty clear who we are without God. That we're a sinner, that we sin without God. Without God, we're, 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 we have no hope. The wrath of God is on us. That we're supposed to admit we're a sinner. That we're supposed to believe the work of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross as the Son of God pays for the penalty of our sins. Then we're supposed to see, confess our sins to him and ask him to save us and we shall be saved. Scripture is very clear about that. But it's not just about saying that prayer. It's the transfer that happens when we say it from our heart, not our head. Anybody can say it with their head. In fact, the Pharisees in the New Testament and the Gospels said these things, not about Jesus, but they said everything about the word with their head all the time. And Jesus said, you guys are alive on the outside and you're totally dead on the inside. It's not about what we say with our tongues. It's about what we believe in our hearts. And if Jesus is the Lord of your life, if he is the owner, if you will, if you took the sign off your heart that says you are the CEO of yourself and you let Jesus put the sign on your heart to say Jesus is the CEO of your life, then you have the ability to begin experiencing extraordinary living. This is what the world pursues, right? This is what the world pursues, but it is, again, what only Jesus can provide. And I'm saying that as direct and as clear as I can because everything around us tells us there are alternatives to following and receiving extraordinary living. You can experience a full life and people just throw stuff at us that if we enjoy all of these things and just live ourselves as much as we want, we spend everything we want, we experience every adventure that we want. Listen, I love the internet and I love technology, but there is something very dangerous that has happened in our world since the electronic age. There are people that are promoting this concept that the best life you can have is not the one that you have right now. It's what someone else has, and you could be just like them, or you need to go and do this, or you need to be an adventurer, or you just need to travel and do all these things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the world is telling us the key to success and pleasure and peace is what you can do according to the world's definition. And Jesus says, if you want to experience extraordinary living, you have to begin by giving up your life. Lose it if you want to gain everything. That's what he says. Carol Cimbala is the wife of Pastor Jim Cimbala in uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. 
And they've been there for decades. They planted a church there over 30 years ago. And God has blessed them and used them in incredible ways. She's the director of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir that has won many, many Grammys over the years because of their work. And this is a woman who doesn't even read music. She just arranges and puts things together and can't read a note of music. This is what she said about living a surrendered life. She said, a surrendered life is the key to experiencing God and being used by him to accomplish his purposes. And then she says, when our lives match the lyrics, that's when we are truly singing. When our lives match the lyrics, that is when we are truly singing. You see, those who know Jesus are going to be the ones who follow him. And when we follow him, we now have the opportunity to experience extraordinary living. That's where it begins. That's the way God created us to live and to be. And there is no getting around that truth this morning. If you're hearing me this morning and listening and you've not given your life to Christ and you've not made a decision to follow Christ, to get out of the way and die to yourself so that he could live in you, you can never experience the type of living that he told us we could experience. I can't be any clearer than that. It starts with that and that's what Jesus teaches us, that we can experience it if we die to ourselves, surrender to ourselves, and make him Lord of our lives. The second thing we need to do in this process of experiencing extraordinary living is to consider how much God has blessed us. Being personal, consider how much God has blessed you. And I I like the word consider, but I almost want to be a little more specific on it to contemplate or meditate on how much God has blessed you. Consider isn't a happenstance thing. It's to dwell on the fact that God has blessed you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me ask you, do you realize how blessed you are today? We sang these songs earlier. That new song we did, by the way, man, that was awesome. Isn't that an awesome song? I mean, talk about the living God and then we would praise God. I mean, that's good stuff. Keep that in the... I love that, Pastor Matt. That was good. You guys, that was awesome. Didn't the team do awesome this morning? I mean, I know it's not about them, but I'm just, my heart's full. And my heart was full to see what they were doing. I'm like, yeah, God, this is really cool. If you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you know how blessed you are? Do you know? I'm asking you right now. Do you recognize how blessed you are if you are a follower of Christ? Scripture is full of teaching us of the blessings that we have when we follow Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, Paul writes, God rescued us from the dark power of Satan. And brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, who forgives our sins and sets us free. He uses the word rescue because he's being intentional. He doesn't just throw us an option. You know, he's not one of three like that old who wants to be a millionaire show. Well, I think I'll use one of my lifelines. There are no other lifelines. There's one lifeline and God offers it to us. He rescues us. The NIV says the dominion of darkness. The CEV says the dark power of Satan that brought us into the kingdom because he rescued us. He reached out when we had no hope and he pulls us out of the mire. He pulls us out of the hopelessness. He pulls us out of death and brings us into life. That is how blessed we are. And if God didn't do anything else for you or me, for the rest of our earthly lives, he already did enough for us. Just there, he already did enough. There's nothing else he could give us that's bigger or better than rescuing us from an eternity separate from God. Do you recognize how blessed you are? 
2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul goes on to say, anyone who belongs to Christ is what? A new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. That really hits home to a lot of people when they consider where they've been, what they've done, the pain they've caused others, the things they wish they could change or fix. And they walk around with a burden and a weight feeling like God could never accept them the way they are. And Paul says, you got it wrong. The gospel's about bringing you out of death into life and all that stuff that was once there, you're not just created, you're not just, just fixed. God doesn't just you know, spackle you up and make you look good. He completely renovates you. He makes you a completely different person. Your spirit is no longer dead. Your spirit is now full And the Spirit of God dwells in you, where you are no longer in control. God is, and he is the master carpenter that will change you, transform you. And all this junk on the outside that we still struggle with, he will continue to make you look more and more like his son, Jesus. Because you're allowing him to be the leader and the CEO of your life. Do you recognize the blessings that God has given you? Do you struggle with what you've been given and how much of it came from God? Maybe you look at the things around you and say, well, you know, in error, maybe we look at the things we have. Maybe we look at our jobs or we look at, you know, our homes or we look at our health. If we have, you know, if we're healthy or any of the good things that we can look in our lives and say, we, we are, these are good things in our lives. Where do all of these things come from? Every good thing that we have, where does it come from? James says in chapter 117, every good and perfect gift is from what? Above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God has given me something no one can ever take away. He's given you something no one can ever take away. And in addition to that, he gives you all of the other things that you enjoy, all the other things that you like. Because he's not just a God that says, I've saved you. And one day, we'll hang out in heaven forever. No, like he says, I've saved you and let me, oh, you're my kid. Like, I just, I want to give you stuff because I love you. I I love it when you're pleased. I'm going to give you stuff because, I mean, come on, this is what I do with my own kids. This is what my parents did for me. You know, I mean, I was the kid that would peek and open up the presents before Christmas time. Don't say, oh. Judging me, man. No. I did. I did. I remember bargaining with my mom one time, saying, you know, I did all these things. Could I, could I play with that before Christmas? And she let me. I don't know if my dad knows that. He probably does now. And yet, I mean, this is silly, but all the mistakes that we've done in our lives, all the things that have made us or shown us the imperfect people that we are, our parents still bestow these gifts upon us because they love us. And we do the same thing for our kids. Not because we're better than our parents were or our kids are better than we were. We're all imperfect people, but the love that we have for our children wants them to prosper, wants them to enjoy life, wants them. You hear what I'm saying? Like, this is so important for us to understand. This is the heart of God. He doesn't just save us for eternity. He wants to give us good things. So we can grab hold of all the scriptures that we see in in the scripture, Old Testament and the New Testament. Jeremiah says, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
He says, I knew you before you were even knit in your mother's womb. In the New Testament, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In the Old Testament, he says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against him. What is it saying? God is always stronger than anything that ever comes our way. In the New Testament, he goes back and he says, why are you worrying about the things that you need every single day? God takes care of the birds and dresses them beautifully in the things of the world. If he cares about a little bird that isn't made in his image, how much more is he going to take care of you? This is the word. This is what we should be blessed for. This is what we should be thankful for with an attitude of gratitude. Do you know how blessed you are? Do you understand how blessed you are? Maybe there are healings that you've experienced in your life, physical healings, emotional healings, abuses that you've struggled with, and you've seen God's transformation. Sitting here earlier listening to Mariana talk about things in her own past and her testimony that she was able to share with people that God had that was broken in her life, and the only one she can really give credit for that healing is God himself. Maybe he used others. I'm sure he used others. But his spirit was the one that did the work. The Holy Spirit is the one that did the work. Do you recognize how blessed you really are? That's the second thing in experiencing extraordinary living. The third is this. Share his blessings with others. Share his blessings with others. If you want to experience extraordinary living, and this is the part we can get tripped up on sometimes, share his blessings with others. Extraordinary living doesn't come from only recognizing God's blessings and recognizing what he's given us. It depends on us embracing our responsibility to share his blessings with others. We have to ask ourselves in this world, what kind of instrument are we for God? Are we a container or are we a conduit? Containers hold things, store things, keep things. Conduits release things, allow things to be transferred from one to another. Can I tell you, we can say we're a vessel and the overflow of what's going on in our lives is what God wants us to do. But ultimately, God has called you and I to be conduits of his love, conduits of his grace, conduits of his compassion, conduits of everything he's given us, he's asked us to maintain the posture of open hands so that he gives it to us and he asks us to release it to others. That's the way that we experience true life. He tells us in Matthew 28, go into the world and make disciples. Paul called followers of Jesus ambassadors for Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, God makes his appeal through us to go into the world and to become ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador doesn't take all their knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and hold it for themselves. An ambassador goes into the world, speaks the truth, teaches not just with their words but with their lives and brings the peace and the love of God to everyone God calls us to go to. You make make sense? You with me? That means your gifts matter to God. Your skills matter to God. Your careers and the things he's given you matter to God. This isn't just separating, well, I work 40 to 50 hours a week and then I'm also a Christian. All of those things together God can use. Two years ago when we had those kids here for Mission Lansdale, there were people doing burnouts in the parking lot for Jesus. Come on. Kids' eyes bigger than a video of it. I mean, they were scared. And it was cool. There were people that were passionate about nutrition that were giving of themselves for children in this community. There were people that their love for music were allowing people to demonstrate their love for music. There were athletes that loved 
basketball and everything that athletes do. I'm not an athlete. But they do it athletically, and they love to do it. And God used them to bless them and to touch them. And then there were people that shared some of their brokenness through their life that were able to speak directly to others because their brokenness was healed. And if Jesus could do it for them, Jesus could do it for the others as well. You see how this works? If you want to experience an extraordinary life, take everything that God has given you and don't ask yourself why. And I'm just talking not not about the good things. I'm talking about everything. Don't just look at the why. God, why? Why do I have a lot of money? Why do I have a lot of finances? Why do I have a lot of skill? Why do I? Don't ask the why. God, why do I have suffering? Why have I gone through brokenness? Why do I suffer abuse? Why have I had a history of addiction? Why, why, why? Don't ask why. Ask, how do you want to use this through me to bring others into your kingdom? When we ask the right question, God has permission to heal. God has permission to use. So it's not a, I need the answer, why? God says, don't worry about the why. Ask yourself about the how. And don't be surprised when I use you in a powerful way. Be available, be open. Mayor said it earlier. Two weeks ago, I brought my car to a place to have the tires changed. And, you know, um, you have to sit and wait sometimes to have this happen. And it's a lovely experience. And uh, I was walking in and I, I brought my, my laptop because I didn't have a ride home. And I was going to sit there and, and talk um, and just do some work while I was sitting there for a while. And I sat down. One of the first few people there sat down, started at my keyboard. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me right like that. Stop what you're doing and go pray for the man at the counter. And my immediate response was, I just started working. (laughs) True, and be honest, as honest as I can with you. But, you know, can I tell you that only lasted for a moment? And I went, no, I've told you I want to be as obedient as I can. I want to be obedient. If you're asking me to do something, I'm going to do it. What am I going to say? Just go pray for him. So I got up and I went and talked to him. And I said, I have a question for you, sir. And I said, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your day like today? And he said, 2. And I said, really? And he goes, I'm only giving you a 2 because I'm standing and I'm alive. That's what he said. And I said, well, I would love to pray for you this morning. Could I pray for you? And his eyes got big and he looked at me with a smile and he says, are you a religious man? (laughs) Yeah. I was wearing a Bridge Community Church t-shirt. Not intentionally. I said, well, I'm a pastor. I said, but it's not about religion. It's about the Jesus that I know. And I want to pray for you if you're okay with that. So I prayed for him. And I prayed some specific things over him that I didn't know I was going to pray. I prayed for peace, the things that, you know, he felt unrest. But I prayed specifically that he would breathe deep and then his lungs would be filled. And he told me after, and he says, I have a heart condition. And I struggle with labored breathing and shortness of breath. And he said, you prayed exactly what I needed with tears in his eyes. And he's saying, you prayed exactly what I needed to hear this morning. So three and a half hours as I'm still sitting there waiting for my car. Multiple times he walks by. He's like, that prayer's really working today, buddy. That prayer's working. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, baby. And I was excited. And I kind of, here's what I'm telling you this story. People can hear these stories sometimes and they can be like, why do you say that? Does it puff you up? No, it has nothing to do with us. Everyone that's listening to this that is a follower of Christ can take a step of faith, can take a step of obedience and say, I am going to be a vessel for God. And it doesn't mean you have to be the one that lays hands on them and prays. I, believe it or not, I actually prayed for him on the opposite side of a plexiglass wall. Can you believe that? And God still worked. 
You don't have to lay your hands on them and mess their hair up. You don't have to push them over. And I'm not saying there aren't times to do stuff if God tells you to do that. But God is powerful. You can be listening to this through live stream today and experience the spirit of the living God talk to you saying, God's talking to me. Why? Because his presence lives in all who believe. Amen? This is so important for us to understand. Be who God has called you to be. Use every gift he's called you to, live, to, to use. You might be the one who pulls over on the side of the road that has to help someone change a tire. You might be the person that has to pick up the phone to call them just to encourage them. You might have some unique gift or skill that at just the right time, God's going to connect you with someone that needs to know or hear that very thing. Don't let someone else's experience be a formula for you. God has created you uniquely, and he wants you to be everything he's called you to be. Amen? Be who he's called you to be. Why? He says it in Matthew 10, 8. As he tells his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then he says this, freely you have received, freely give. As the worship team comes this morning and we get ready to close, can I ask you this morning, first, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you made a decision to follow Christ? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today can be the day that that changes. You don't need to wait for someone to tell you now is the time. If your heart's pumping and thumping and God's speaking to you, you're not sure what you're really listening to, that could be the spirit. That is a spirit saying, like, make a decision to choose me, and I'm going to raise you up and resurrect you. You're going to go on a journey that you never thought was possible. But then recognize and consider the blessings that God has given you and everything he has given you that you were unaware of. He is a God of blessings. He is a God of provision. Recognize all of those things and begin to walk in those things. It does something to our heart to have that level of gratitude to say the creator of the world loves me that much that he just, he just wants to bestow blessings on us. He wants to, and it's not just giving me stuff, but he promises healing. He promises forgiveness. He promises health. He takes ashes and he gives us beauty for them. He does all of these good things. Why? Because he's God. And then he says, and the way that you show me you love me And the way you experience real life is to give it away. And if I'm being really honest, through this last year, we've heard so many people walk with an attitude of weariness and heaviness and fear and all of these things. I don't know. I've heard people deconstruct their belief of Jesus. I've heard people deconstruct the need of the local church. And they all have critiques and reasons why this isn't right and this isn't right. And I just look at that and I say, stop being critical. Do you remember the blessings that God has given you? And if you remember it, are you giving it away? But the enemy wants us to walk away from the blessings. The enemy wants us to say, there are no blessings. There is just hypocrisy in the church. There are just masks, figuratively and literally, in the church. There are just people that say one thing and do something else. There's just people that are using religion as an opiate because there's nothing else to cling to. This isn't real. He wants you to doubt God's blessings because when you do that, you have nothing to give away. But what if this morning we turn the corner and we remind ourselves, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. What if we remember that this morning? What if we dare to believe what we say we believe? 
What if you dare to believe what you say you believe and you don't just get stuck in the routine? Can I tell you? It could be a small little thing, but I can tell you every time I look through the history of my life, when I have felt discouraged or down or not doing, you know, whatever in that minute, in the, in the moment that I feel, it's usually because I'm not sharing what God has asked me to share. I'm not doing what God has asked me to do. I camp on the hurt and I don't focus on healing. I camp on the offense and don't embrace the forgiveness. What if we remember the blessings that God has given us? And what if we allow our heart to be overwhelmed with this? I mean, we were talking about Romans 9 the last couple weeks, and I've had pastor friends with me. They're like, you know, that's a serious, like, that's like deep end of the pool stuff, dude. Like, how did you do that? You know, and are you, how do you feel? And I'm like, it was probably two of the most vibrant weeks of my life preparing messages because it so spoke to the sovereignty of God that he chose me. But the responsibility I have to go and to trust him and to choose him. And I went, he loves me that much that he made a way, but he doesn't force the way. And my heart was full because of that. Can I just remind you this morning? He made a way for you. Do you trust him? Is he the one that we worship? Because he paid your debt. You can experience extraordinary living. And that's my hope and desire for you this morning. Will you stand? Father, I just pray each person that's here this morning would experience this truth, experience this hope, experience this love, Lord. That they would come to you, Lord, surrendered to you, making that declaration, embracing the blessing that comes from knowing you and giving it away to others. We pray this all in Jesus' name.